0: restaurants unstoppable episode 840 with david lizabram
1: you know what you don't know can hurt you but the flip side of that is that knowledge is power don't be too scared of all this stuff be sure that uh you know you get yourself informed and educated and then you'll you'll be way ahead of the competition
2: are you ready for it? it factors success
0: stories failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge.
2: Then,
1: join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable.
0: Yo, Unstoppables, I want to use this ad space to let you know about an affiliate relationship I have with the company Mies. Actually, Mies has been a past sponsor, but they've adopted this really great affiliate program, and I want to give it a shot. But here's the thing, I won't get credit for your referral unless you use my specific, special, unique link. And that link is com slash unstoppable. So if you listen to this ad and you want mees, make sure you use that link. And instead of actually uh, recording a new ad, I really like the first one I did with them. So I'm just going to roll it and uh, let the ad work. It's magic. Here it is. Here are four reasons why you need me's in your restaurant. One, it's the most accurate recipe costing tool on the planet. Never again waste time trying to find yields and converting unit measures or creating extra sub recipes just to account for yield updates. Because Mies has a database of thousands of ingredients and prep actions with yields and conversions built right into the interface. So you get immediate output of your costs and your conversions. That's huge. Number two, you will train your staff the right way and save countless Hours, your team sees in real time updates of all the recipe content. Plus, you can send notifications and answer questions directly through Mees. Quickly and easily create shows with video and image, so you can show your team exactly what they need when they need it. Here's the third reason why you need Mees in your restaurant: you will reduce waste and execute with consistency. Mees enables you to make precisely the amount of food you need, and that's because every ingredient has automated unit conversions. Tell me is how many portions you want watch your recipe scale automatically. Tell Mees how much yield you want. Watch it scale automatically. You can even enter the amount of ingredients you have on hand and then watch the recipe scale automatically. Here's the fourth and final reason why you need Mees in your restaurant. It organizes and shares your content like never before. Mees is like Google Drive specifically for the culinary operation. Here's your call to action. Go to get Me's. That's M-E-E-Z com slash unstoppable and make sure you mention restaurant unstoppable when signing up to get three free months when you get the annual business plan. Get on it. Restaurant owners know it can be almost impossible to keep everything up to date, even making adjustments on your menu. And I know it's Probably one of the most important marketing tools out there, if not the most important marketing tool. That's why I'm so happy to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first time guests into regulars. Pop Menu seriously is the full digital solution for independent restaurant owners. When you invest in Pop Menu, you get a dynamic interactive menu that hooks your customers from the start. And let me tell you, they really do love that review feature. You get a mobile friendly website and I cannot Stress to you enough how many people miss the importance of a solid website. And you also get marketing and integrations to build long lasting relationships with your guests. What are you waiting for? As you can see, Pop Menu gives restaurateurs all the tools they need to put the focus back on what matters the most the people and the food. Trust me, if you are a restaurant owner, you need to check out Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, my listeners get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging lifetime rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S.com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What's going on? Unstoppables. We have a great show for you today, but you know what I'm about to say? I got to remind you, please support this podcast. There's a few ways you can do it. You can use our sponsors. You can click our affiliate links. You can share this thing with everybody you freaking know. And, you can come join restaurant stoppable network uh, where your membership pays or it goes a long way to support this podcast. And thank you in advance. If you do join the network And today's episode is actually um, it was created to serve a network member. Somebody reached out to me in the network and they said, Hey Eric, I have questions around trademarks. And I said, well, I am not the guy to give you those answers, but I do know somebody, the person I went to, to get restaurant unstoppable trademarked. And uh, this is somebody who I discovered through uh, the podcasts that I was listening to when I, but even before I started restaurant unstoppable, he's uh, a attorney for John Lee Dumas of entrepreneur on a fire, uh, which is one of the podcasts that really inspired me to create restaurant unstoppable. There's a lot of similarities between our podcasts. Uh, But today's guest, David Lizerbram, is a, the host of Products of the Mind podcast. Uh, He's a business law strategist, and he's the the founder of David Lizerbram and Associates. And his podcast, Products of the Mind, is about the intersections of business and creativity. Uh, his show includes tips and lessons about business law strategy and how to protect your brands and business assets. So we're talking to the right person when it comes to trademarks. And this, this episode is action-packed, full of great advice and the basics when it comes to trademarking. So with no further ado, here is David Lizerbram. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, David at Lizard Bram. David, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am. Yes, I cannot wait to get into this conversation. So just a little bit more about why David is here. Uh, in the network, I'm making it very clear, very plain that... If you guys have issues, if you have challenges, I'm not the guy that has all the answers, but I can usually find the, the gal or girl or guy who has the answer. We'll get them on the show. And we'll learn together. And somebody in the network came to me and they had questions about trademarking. Um, and I said, you know, what? I don't have your answers, but guess what? I had a trademark restaurant, Unstoppable, and I discovered this guy, David, who has his own podcast around uh, the, 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 the name of the podcast, products, wait, host of products. Products of the mind. Of the mind. And then you also have Intangible Assets, which is a second podcast. Um, And I I mean, I just trust you because you're... I have a lot of podcasts. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, You're the the attorney for John Lee Dumas, who is somebody who inspired me to start my own podcast. And any time that John is out there promoting a a tool or a service, I just listen and I pay attention because he doesn't stand by products he doesn't believe in. So um basically you're here because we trust you i've used you personally i know you're going to have answers and we're going to be covering first we're just going to define some terms and then we're going to go over how to choose a strong trademark we're going to cover things like uh the the number one thing that gets people in trouble and going through the trademark process but before we get into that let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us
1: well i am a lawyer so i do like to say that um You know what you don't know can hurt you, but the flip side of that is that knowledge is power. So um, you know, don't be too scared of all this stuff. Um, You know, be sure that uh, you know you get yourself informed and educated, and then you'll you'll be way ahead of the competition.
0: No, I'm guilty of this myself. Like when you don't know something, it's scary, and that scariness will make you not want to just do the thing because you don't know what to expect. And nine times out of ten. It's a lot easier than you think it is. And like yeah. don't let not knowing the answer or being afraid of something stop you from doing what's necessary in your business. I mean, I probably waited 6 months longer than I needed to to get my business trademarked because I thought it was going to be a big gross process and stupid expensive. I did have, I had to spend some money, but it wasn't bad. Like literally our engagement back and forth like I told you I needed to trademark, you sent me the or you sent me the paperwork, told me what I needed to do and it was really painless.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I'm glad you had a good experience.
0: Yeah. So, um, let's just get into it. So, what are the terms we need to know? Just lay that foundation for us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I never wanted to be the attorney who uses terminology, legal terminology that's confusing or that people don't understand. So, if I say anything that you know, you think somebody might not understand or i haven't defined it please stop me um first thing i have to say just a little disclaimer because you know i am a lawyer is um while i am an attorney (laughs) i'm not your attorney by virtue of doing this you know this is not legal advice eric i am your attorney but that's a side issue (laughs) Um, but for people who are listening uh of course don't take this as legal advice i'm not speaking to your particular situation and you have to consult an attorney yourself if you have particular questions and i can do q a and answer questions that are generally informative but again i'm not providing legal advice to anybody in this this format. Um, just kind of jumping into it, the you know the topic that Eric wanted to discuss and thought would be valuable for the restaurant unstoppable community was trademarks. And the first thing that people need to know is what is a trademark, right? Because that's a term that gets thrown around. People get confused. They often confuse trademarks with things like copyrights and patents, which are not the same at all. They're maybe sometimes considered in the same category of intellectual property, but each of them is totally different. Um, so they don't overlap for the most part. Um, So, okay, what is a trademark? The most basic definition is that a trademark is anything that identifies you or your company as the source of a product or a service. So common types of trademarks can be business names, brand names, logos, Taglines, uh, I work with many restaurant and hospitality type businesses, so it could be the name of a restaurant or a bar or whatever it could be. could be a menu item, could be a you know physical product that you sell. any of these things um, could potentially be trademarks and just fall under that category um, so it 's pretty broad but ninety nine percent of the time when i 'm working with clients what they 're worried about is the business name, brand name word what we call word marks. And then um, things like logos sometimes and taglines and that kind of thing. So uh, when it
0: comes to taglines, um, it's like, you know, anything that's associated with your restaurant that might be like a subtitle of the title, like, I don't know, like, I can't think of any, anything in media that comes to mind. But when I think of taglines, uh, I'm curious because being John Lee Dumas's lawyer, I also ask for a success quote or a mantra. Is that something I should be worried about? Is that for, for example, I guess is what I'm asking.
1: I see what you're saying. So like your po- that's a that's a thing, you know, uh, that that you do in your podcast that identifies you. Somebody listens to that and they go, "Oh yeah, Eric does that all the time. That's kind of part of his vibe. That's what he's communicating." You know, maybe I would say that could be a trademark. I'm not really sure. I'd have to give it some thought. Um, uh, you know, because it, it probably is the type of thing that there are other people out there who are doing it, asking for mantras or success quotes or, you know, a quote that's motivational. Um, you hear that a lot um, in the You know, in the podcast world. Um, So it has to kind of be unique to you in order to really function as a trademark. We'd have to think about whether that really fits um, and and how you're using it and so forth.
0: And would you have to be mindful of the fact that you have a tagline? If you go to a lawyer and you're like, I want to, you know, trademark my brand, my, my, the name of my business and this logo, uh, would you also have to trademark specifically the tagline or would you have to be like, would you have to like spell that out? I'm assuming we would.
1: Yeah, sure. Okay. So let me just kind of define a couple things because that's a, that's a really good question, but um, it brings up some issues that we wanted to get into. So um, first of all, when, when, when we talk about trademarks, like when somebody talks about trademarking something, right? Um, people say that to me all the time. Hey, I want to trademark this, right? I don't really use that as a verb exactly, but I understand what people are saying. A lot of times what people are thinking when they mention that is filing something with the United States Patent and Trademark Office or a trademark office in, let's say, a different country if that's where they live or work, etc., Um when I think of the trademark world, because I've been doing this for almost 20 years helping clients you know protect their brands, um, uh, I think of it a little bit more broadly, right? So first of all, um, you can get trademark rights. you can gain rights, legal protection, in a trademark a word, phrase, logo, whatever without filing anything with the trademark office. That doesn't mean you shouldn't file, and we can totally get into that. It's very valuable. but uh, in the. US, you can gain rights. Uh, in a brand just by virtue of using it. It's called Goodwill, right? So you see, um, you know, a bottle of Coca-Cola and you have a good feeling about that brand. You've had Coca-Cola before, you like it, you know it's good quality as opposed to some other generic brand or something you haven't heard of. That's Goodwill, that's a trademark. Now, of course they have their trademarks registered, but even, you know, aside from that, they also have this kind of common law uh, Goodwill that's associated with the brand. And the same thing applies to a podcast, a restaurant, whatever it might be. If you have customers, if you have users, listeners, clients, whatever it might be, who um, are familiar with your brand, they identify it, they have a good feeling about it, they understand the quality and so forth. Those are trademark rights that you're developing. Um, In terms of, you know, kind of what we talked about the uniqueness, that's where we get into. What I like to say is the number one thing that most people don't know about trademarks that gets them into trouble, and this is a conversation I have with clients literally every day for the last twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so so um, it's very common, um, and people you know miss this stuff all up and down. You know, whether you're just new to starting a business or whether you've been doing it for thirty years or whatever, um, it's just something that people haven't really gotten their minds around. But um, in the U.S. and many other jurisdictions. Like I said, trademark rights are acquired through use. Just using it in commerce, um, you're acquiring legal rights. So, what does that mean? That means that um, even if somebody hasn't registered something with the trademark office, they may have legal rights. So, if you're coming up with a new brand, let's say you have a new name for a restaurant that you're that you've developed, right? And you want to start using it. Um, a lot of times, what people will do if they're you know at least trying to do the kind of first step here is they'll look in the United States Patent and Trademark Office website, uspto.gov. You can search there for trademarks, and they'll type in the name, and nothing comes up. And they go, great, I I can do it. I've got the trademark, or I can file it, or my lawyer can file it, and I have nothing to worry about. Um, unfortunately, that's not how it works. Um, because people can acquire rights without registering with the Trademark Office, that means that searching the Trademark Office database doesn't tell you everything you need to know about what's out there. Um, for that reason, when people come to me and they say, hey, I need help with the trademark. I want you to trademark this or register, whatever. What I'm really thinking is, okay, number one, we have to do a search to see if that name, that brand, whatever is available to make sure that there's nobody else out there who's using that brand or something similar. Um, in a similar context, right? So if somebody is using, has come up with a name that you know is the same name as your potential restaurant, but they're using it on, I don't know, airplane parts or something, a totally different type of product or service that has nothing to do with what you're doing. Most of the time, that's not an issue from a trademark perspective. But if they're using it for a restaurant, food product, hospitality, something like that, then you potentially could have a conflict. Now, every conflict's not the same. It's not all black and white, you know, yes or no. There's gray area, but a lot of what I do and what trademark lawyers really do in terms of what you're paying us for and what the good stuff is, is searching and clearing, seeing if those brands are available. If anybody else is using it, even if they haven't registered with the trademark office or anything, if they're, you know, if they're out there identifying those conflicts, then I'm working with the client to understand, okay, we maybe have found some conflicts. How serious are they? Where are you at? What's your risk tolerance? Every client has a different situation. So again, I'm not just saying yes or no. It's okay. Here's what you're looking at. Let's identify the issues. Think about the pros and cons. What are your options? What are you going to do in terms of going forward? Then once we've gotten through that search and clearance process and the client is ready to move forward, then it's the time to actually file the registration with the trademark office. So I know we kind of jumped ahead in our agenda a little bit, but your questions were totally on point. (laughs) So I want to answer them and give you that context.
0: No, and like like listening to you talk, it reminded me of what happened with you and I, and like what happened where I wasn't starting. I mean, I had already started. Theoretically, I probably should have came to you before I ever ever starting my podcast, but the cash flow wasn't there yet for me. But the reason why I came to you was because I think somebody started an unstoppable hospitality podcast, and I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Like, that's really close. Like, is that cool? Like, should I be trademarking myself right now?" Um. So what, like. I guess from what I just said, from what I just said, what was going through your mind as far as like what you need to be aware of?
1: Yeah. I mean, th- that there's typically the, the, there's a couple of rules about trademarks that are really simple. It's one of the areas of law where there is a lot of complexity, but there are also things that like, you know, are as simple as understanding the speed limit. Right. So one of which is, you know, the first to use typically is considered the senior user. Right. So if somebody's using the same or a similar, let's say it was the same. You know trademark somebody came along and they were calling themselves restaurant unstoppable maybe it wasn 't a podcast maybe it 's a YouTube channel or something right but it 's basically the same type of thing you would be in that case the senior user you 've got the priority you 've been using it the longest. Um, people identify you with it, and somebody else comes along generally speaking, you have the stronger legal position
0: so even right? if i didn 't see an attorney it, from day one before you ever like started your business, opened your restaurant, whatever if a podcast, whatever it might be. As long as you started and there's evidence that you were around before, the actual trademark was created for, by somebody else, you have a leg to stand, stand on. Is, is that's yeah. kind of how I'm interpreting what you're
1: saying. That's the general sense, but you've got the kind of like theoretical legal sense, which is true. But then you've got the practical reality of like what is it like to run a business and how can you actually accomplish you know perfecting these rights, using them, and so forth. Right. That's where getting the trademark registration with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is very beneficial because it gives you certain advantages, right? Yeah. Um, one of which, yeah, so one of which is that um, essentially you have the benefit of the doubt, let's say, if there was a legal dispute, the person who's holding the trademark registration is presumed to be, like in court, the person or company who has the real legal rights. That doesn't mean it's the final definitive word, but the, but the other party is kind of on the defensive. Um, Now, you don't necessarily want to be spending your time in court because that's very expensive, time consuming, right? But if you know that you have that advantage, that you've got that registration, that's going to make most other people just kind of back off because it's like they don't want to be in court either. Right. So they know, okay, well, if they speak to a lawyer, the lawyer's gonna say, look, they have the trademark registration. So they're already starting from a position of strength. you really want to attack that and try to convince the court that there is a vulnerability in the trademark registration? If you guys are big companies, maybe yes. But if you're you know small to medium sized company, startup, et cetera, you may not have that, you know, luxury to to fight that fight. Um, yeah. so that's one of the advantages of trademark registration. there's a lot more advantages and I can go down that list, but I don't want to, you know, just kind of run yeah, up my, the clock about My that.
0: ADD is kicking into like hyperdrive right now too. We do have an agenda and I should probably bring us back to the agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we were going to define the terms that are important to understand. You defined trademark. You, you pointed out that trademark is not the same as a copyright or a patent. Were there any other or any other terms you wanted to de- define before I start pulling back some layers?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think people get confused about some of the little nitty gritty details of this. So like people will use the term service mark and trademark. They're really very similar. If you hear, I, I basically just always say trademark just because it's simpler. Um, there's not that much of a legal description distinction. Now, te- technically, you could say a trademark um, applies to a product. So this is like an Apple product. They have their logo, right? That's a trademark as opposed to a service mark like um I think a restaurant is a service, a law firm is a service. So you could say, okay, well, that's really a service mark, but that's, the, the distinction doesn't really matter too much. We can just say trademark. Another thing people get confused about um, is those little symbols or logos. So like you have the TM and then you have the R in the circle. So the TM just stands for trademark, capital T, capital M. That's not really legally controlled in any way. Meaning, um, let's say you open your restaurant today. You can stick TM next to the logo, next to the name, whatever. Nobody's stopping you from doing that. It doesn't prove anything legally. You don't have to do it, but you can do it and it's fine. You're just saying, hey, this is my brand. Um, The R in the circle is the one that is legally controlled under federal statute in the United States. Meaning, you can only use the R in the circle in connection with a, a, a mark. So word logo, whatever that has been registered with the United States trademark office. That doesn't mean you filed for it. It means you've gone through the whole process and you've obtained the actual registration. That's the only time you can use that R in the circle. And where, so where, let me just say one thing. This is where a lot of people get in trouble, right? They hire somebody to create their logo and then the logo designer just sticks the little R next to it and goes, Oh, here you go. Here's the trademark symbol. And. The logo designer doesn't know this stuff. They're not a lawyer. They don't. They haven't had the benefit of listening to this fabulous episode of Restaurant Unstoppable and, and have all this info. So you know you can't rely on them. Um, and that's you know that's not their job. So you always have to be mindful as a business owner. You just don't want to use that because that is something where you could get in trouble. By I mean it's technically fraud. Nobody's going mm-hmm. to jail for it, but you're not supposed to be doing that. So just something to look out for is is which of those symbols are you using and when can you use them.
0: So what are the benefits of using like, I mean, the obvious one is you're telling people like, don't mess with me. Like I've gone through the process. Like if you try to use these marks, you're going to run into issues because it's trademarked. But I mean, does it help you maybe look like more of an authority? Like you have your stuff together, like, like more professional. Is it worth going through those motions?
1: So a couple, yeah, a couple of the advantages of going through the registration process. So one is that um, what happens is, like I said, when you're, you know, looking at open a restaurant or start a brand, whatever it may be. Um, a lot of people will do that search at the Trademark Office database or they'll have a lawyer do it. It's free. You can just do it. Anybody can go on uspto.gov and do it right away, right? So let's say restaurant ensemble. Somebody comes up with a, you know, maybe somebody hit on that same exact brand name, right? Um, and they think that's a good name. Um, they haven't heard of you. They just came up with it individually. They go to the trademark office. They type that in. They see restaurant on is already registered and they go, okay, well, that's already taken. I can't use it, right? So that's happening all day long. You don't even know about it. But that's a problem that never came across your radar. You never had to deal with it. It just, you know, bounced off the invisible shield of the trademark office. And I know that that's happening all day long because I'm doing that on my end for clients. They're asking me to search something. I search. I say, you can't use that because somebody else already has it. Boom. That person on the other end of that, they got that benefit from me doing that and they didn't even know. Right. So that's one benefit that you get. Um Another thing is that kind of validity, um, showing that you're, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, you're taking all the right steps in your business. A lot of people want to start a brand, like a restaurant brand, grow to multiple locations, and maybe get acquired or get investors. Um, you know, partner with a, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, financial people, whatever it may be. Having that registration often is helpful because it checks off one of the boxes. Right, So if you're going to invest in a business or you're going to acquire a business, there's a whole list of due diligence. You want to make sure the financials are in order and this and that and everything. They have their what registrations. One of those things on that list is the trademarks. Is that registered? Well, if you've already done that, boom, that's one thing. That's one reason they don't have to say no to you in terms of this potential business deal. That's already taken care of, etc. In addition, if there is ever a legal dispute and somebody infringes on your trademark, meaning they, you know, use it and they know that you're, you know, that you have the right claim, but they just blow you off and you were to sue them, you in. You are entitled to up to triple, meaning three times damages um, of their profits potentially from using the trademark and your lost profits, as well as in some cases, attorney's fees and costs. That's only true if you have the registration. If you don't have the registration, then you don't have that. And again, I'm not saying everybody wants to run to court all the time. I'm not a litigator. I never go to court. That's not my job. So it's not to my benefit to tell people to do that. But if the other side knows that you have that power and that ability, that makes it more likely that they're going to back off or comply with the cease and desist or whatever the case may be. So these are just some of the advantages of going through yeah. the trouble of getting the registration. And
0: you're pointing out some key things, and I'm actually really proud. I feel like I need to sit up strong, tall <laughs> right now because we have Greg Lindsay who's joining us, who is the owner of the Jewish Deli. Is this trademarked? No, he's shaking his head. No, we'll save your questions for later.
1: Um, so anybody who anybody who owns a deli is uh, is good with me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I grew up going to delis, and uh, we need more awesome. of them.
0: <laughs> so I mean, I do have some one thought that came to mind that it, when you might want to get a trademark is if you have intentions. If it's if it's your dream to scale, if it's your dream to build something and sell it, go through these motions early because you don't want it to develop, spend time building brand awareness to only have that brand change five years from now when you're ready to sell or 10 years from now when you're ready to sell, that's what's going through my mind. So it's just being good. And it's, you're like you said, we learn a lot about uh, when you're approaching a, uh, investors or anybody who might buy in, if you can eliminate the no's, if you can p- create a path of least resistance to sell or acquire, have people acqu- acquire your business, just going through those motions early on just helps get a yes. Later is kind of like the big underlying message I'm, I'm pulling. Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you might be starting a business, uh, or in early stage and you're not even thinking about selling, but, you know, you want that business to thrive. So what's going to happen one day at the end of the day? Either you're going to sell it, your heirs are going to sell it, or, you know, uh, it's going to close, right? I mean, you know, or they're going to inherit. I mean, there's only so many things in the end of the, you know, time that's going to happen, but, um, keeping the business going and then, you know, eventually being able to sell it, whether you want to retire, grow, whatever it might be. Um, You know, the earlier you start thinking about those things, the better. Um, And just kind of on that point, again, just to kind of clear this up in terms of conflicts, my clients learn. I have clients that have been with me for 10, 15 years or longer. The earlier they come to me with potential brand names and things like that, the better. Um, Meaning... An ideal situation is somebody comes to me and they say, hey, I'm looking to open a restaurant. Here's five potential names that I'm thinking of. Um, can, and then sometimes I can rule, okay, these two aren't going to work. I can tell you right away because X, Y, and Z, right? Then we you know, start to narrow it down. We do searches, whatever. And we come up with that one that's like really solid and really good. Um, That's often not possible because, you know, sometimes people just can't afford to, um, get into that situation or, you know, they're not thinking that far ahead. They're just too consumed with getting the business started. And that's fine. I work with people in every stage. But if you're the earlier you are practically able to work with an attorney, um, even at a very low level, just to kind of clear things, um, the less likely you're going to run into issues as you go along.
0: Okay. So we've covered the definition of trademark. We've talked about how it's not a copyright or a patent. We've talked about the, the trademark symbol in the um, R, the circle around its symbol. Uh, we've talked about the difference between service mark and trademark. Any other terms we have not covered that you're hoping to cover before we move on and get into how to choose a strong trademark?
1: Yeah, I think that basically covers it.
0: Okay, so one quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to dive into how to choose a strong trademark. Yo, Unstoppables, I want to use this ad space to let you know about an affiliate relationship I have with the company Mies. Actually, Mies has been a past sponsor, but they've adopted this really great affiliate program and I want to give it a shot. But here's the thing, I won't get credit for your referral unless you use my specific, special, unique, Link and that link is getmeescom slash unstoppable. So if you listen to this ad and you want me's, make sure you use that link. And instead of actually uh, recording a new ad, I really like the first one I did with them. So I'm just going to roll it and uh, let the ad work. It's magic. Here it is. Here are four reasons why you need me's in your restaurant. One, it's the most accurate recipe costing tool on the planet. Never again waste time trying to find yields and converting unit measures or creating extra sub recipes just to account for yield updates. Because Mies has a database of thousands of ingredients and prep actions with yields and conversions built right into the interface. So you get immediate output of your costs and your conversions. That's huge. Number two, you will train your staff the right way and save countless hours your team sees in real time updates of all the recipe content plus you can send notifications and answer questions directly through Mees. quickly and easily create slideshows with video and image so you can show your team exactly what they need when they need it here's the third reason why you need me's in your restaurant you will reduce waste and execute with consistency me's enables you to make precisely the amount of food you need and that's because every ingredient has automated unit conversions Tell me is how many portions you want. Watch your recipe scale automatically. Tell me how much yield you want. Watch it scale automatically. You can even enter the amount of ingredients you have on hand and then watch the recipe scale automatically. Here's the fourth and final reason why you need Mees in your restaurant. It organizes and shares your content like never before. Mees is like Google Drive specifically for the culinary operation. Here's your call to action. Go to get Mees. That's meez.com slash unstoppable and make sure you mention restaurant unstoppable when signing up to get three free months when you get the annual business plan. Get on it. We are back and we've defined some terms and now we're going to talk about how to choose a strong trademark. What do we need to be considering when it comes to choosing a strong trademark?
1: Well, some of the things we already discussed was, you know, conflict, seeing if somebody else is out there. How do you do the search to make sure that as best as possible, you can determine that there's not a conflict With somebody who has rights kind of before you came along. That's a big part of choosing a strong trademark. But there's some other factors beyond just conflicts. There's things that just have to do with the actual brand itself, right? And typically, when we talk about this, I'm talking about word type brands, not logos, which are a separate thing, they're important, but word marks, like the name of a restaurant, let's say, or the name of a specialty menu item or a food product, right? Um, So we like to say that trademarks fall on a spectrum of, you know, weak to strong. Um, So in terms of the weekend, um, not the weekend, like what happens Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when restaurants probably make all their money, but the, you know, the weaker end of the spectrum. Um, First, you have terms that are generic. Those are not protectable at all. So like pizza shop, you know, deli. Those are not protectable. They're generic terms. They just are the term in the language for the thing that it is. Um, nobody, you know, anybody can use it. Nobody owns it, et cetera. Now, you know, a generic term in one context can be not generic in another. So apple for an apple, apple juice, you know, whatever, that's generic. Whereas, you know, apple for an apple product, that's a trademark. So, it, you know, it depends on the context, but you understand what I'm saying, like in terms of, you know, your Your space um, terms that are generic are not protectable um, on the way other end of the spectrum, the strongest end um, are marks that are what we call arbitrary or fanciful, again, just kind of using the terms that we use in the in the legal um, world but but they 're pretty easy to understand, like something like Starbucks um, in terms of restaurant context it, super strong trademark because that word doesn 't mean anything you know it, it doesn't have anything. Before Starbucks coffee came along, nobody would have associated the word Starbucks, which I don't even know if it means anything with coffee. It's just a random, completely, you know, total uh, arbitrary choice, Uh, whereas something like Java or whatever, you know, that that. Is a coffee-related term, so it's not um, as strong inherently as something like Starbucks. Now, Starbucks has also gained strength by registration, by marketing, advertising, getting so everybody in the world knows their product. Um, but they're starting with a really strong trademark to begin with, right? Um, and now, um, it doesn't have to be a word that doesn't have any meaning, like Domino's for pizza. That's another super strong trademark. Again, you know, if you're playing Domino's, the game, that's a generic term, but. In the context of pizza, it doesn't have any meaning. It's just basically a random term that they use and they you know, marketed and branded and so forth, and it became very strong. Um, where it gets to be a little bit more challenging are terms that are uh, what we call descriptive. Just because a term is descriptive doesn't mean that it can't be protected at all, but it, it's a little bit more difficult to protect. Um, descriptive uh, terms are those that identify um, or describe some feature source, etc, um, uh, you know some aspect of the business, the product, the service, whatever it may be. Um, you know even restaurant unstoppable just to kind of point you out, is somewhat descriptive right it 's not totally arbitrary. Like Starbucks, right? It, it you know, it, it's not it's business forward.
0: unstoppable. Right, it's right, right. Yeah.
1: exactly. It's not, you know, uh, restaurant podcast, which would be generic, basically, right? So you're kind of in the middle there. Um, it's somewhat descriptive, but I would say strong enough that it's okay. But, you know, you kind of get into that gray area. Now, Sometimes it's important and good to have your brand be descriptive in some way, shape or form. You know, the, the term, uh, the the wording that you use in your brand can have an association with the product services, the type of food, whatever it may be. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that it's a loser, a bad trademark. Um, it just means that there may be a little bit more work, a little bit more thought put into it, um, in terms of how to protect it and what that process looks like.
0: So, so if you get uh, descriptive, you're getting more protective. For example, uh, Restaurant Law Unstoppable.
1: Right. Yeah, that's pretty descriptive. Um, so if I was going to start that podcast, you know, it would be... Um, Don't you dare, man. Yeah. First of all, <laughs> you know, the conflict of interest, <laughs> uh, unless we went in together. <laughs> Maybe this episode will be hey. such a hit that we'll just spin it off to its own no, brand. it. Um, talk nobody. after. <laughs> nobody take that idea. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, but but again, um without kind of getting too much in the weeds, you want to just take a second to think like, okay, this brand that I'm thinking of, let's say for the name of my restaurant, um, does it have kind of more of that Starbucks or Domino's vibe where it's pretty random and it just is a word that I like or combination of words that I like and I can kind of play off of that? Um, or is it something that is a little bit more on target? Um, and, and, and descriptive. Now, again, just because a term has a descriptive element doesn't mean it can't be protected. Like Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? Very descriptive, geographically descriptive, because that's Kentucky. That's a place. Um, and fried chicken. Fried chicken is a generic term, right? Anybody can say fried chicken, right? But Kentucky Fried Chicken, because they spent so much money and energy advertising and growing that brand, it became a distinctive trademark. Eventually, I think they pivoted to KFC, which is even more kind of abstract. And they probably did that on the advice of their trademark lawyers, but still, it, it's not that it you know it has no protection. There are terms that are very just like Best Buy, right? That's a that's a strong brand just because they've been around so long. But if somebody was starting a business today. And they want, they, you know, KFC didn't exist and they said, Hey, I got a fried chicken restaurant. I want to call it Kentucky Fried Chicken. I probably would tell them, like, you got to think about something a little bit more creative than that because that is pretty descriptive. And it's going to be difficult to prevent other people from using similar terms, which is part of what you want to be able to do when you own a trademark.
0: Yeah. Um, so, one thing I've seen, in, uh, and it's something that I would like to do if I ever were to start another business, I love the power of using acronyms because I feel like, You can really get you can get super descriptive in the title, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. an acronym for something, so you can tell people exactly what you do, and you can shorten it up and literally create a word. So then, I feel like it kind of gets into that. uh, What did you call it? Fantasy or fanatical or (laughs) fanciful?
1: (laughs) Fanciful, yeah. Fanatical will be cool too, but yeah,
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) or arbitrary. So you can literally create words that have massive meaning depending on how creative you can get. So I guess where I'm going with this, where do acronyms fall in far of weak to strong?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, And and something that a lot of people do miss. So like, uh, I don't know if, are they still around TCBY? There was a yogurt uh, chain. Um, I don't know if they're still around, but they were popular when I was a kid. And I think it meant like the country's best yogurt. So the country's best yogurt is kind of a lame name to begin with and probably pretty, you know, not a very strong trademark, but TCBY is, is uh, a good trademark because that's just a random essentially combination of words and letters. So like from the, from a trademark perspective, it doesn't really matter what the acronym means, right? So if your trademark is TCBY, that's a strong trademark, just kind of from a starting point. Um, the fact that you then, you know, tell people like, you know, under that it really means the country's best yogurt or whatever. Again, that doesn't, that doesn't damage the strength of that acronym-based trademark. So that is a good way to go. If you have a term, like you've got Kentucky Fried Chicken, okay, that's okay, but it's pretty descriptive and and has a generic element. You compress it to KFC, now you have something that is uh, stronger from a brand protective perspective. Now,
0: So, I I don't know how, you're the lawyer, maybe you can tell me if I shouldn't be saying this, but um, there was an example that I could think of in Austin, Texas, where there was Austin Beer Garden, it was like ABGB, or AB, I can't remember the exact acronym, but it's like Austin Beer Garden something. Like, but then there was another a bar that was opening in South Austin, and they decided to use an acronym. and It was South Austin Beer Garden, but it was two different companies. But they're both acronyms. So, like, does that? I don't know. Like, where does it get kind of wishy washy in like that example of using acronyms? If the, if the, I guess if the spelled out acronym is very similar, does it matter if the abbreviation is similar? Can you kind of bypass that? I guess is my question.
1: Yeah. And it's a good question. I mean, I have to look at the specifics of that particular situation to get into it. But I I, I mean, the real question in terms of trademark conflicts almost all the time is this concept we call likelihood of confusion is the term the trademark users, trademark attorneys use all day long, right? So the question is, is it likely that a reasonable consumer would be confused as to the source of the goods or services? Meaning, um, hey, I like Austin... Barbecue joint, whatever that place is called, right? I'm a fan of that. I like that. I'm driving through Austin and I see
0: another I it place. Up if you want to know, it's 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 the Austin Beer Garden Brews. So okay, ABGB is what they go. About. Okay,
1: I like Austin Beer Garden Brews. Like, I'm a fan of that place. I went to Austin one time. I ate there. Okay, right. I go back to Austin. I'm driving around. Hey, I see another restaurant with a similar name. Do I, a reasonable consumer, think that? They are, they must be related. Oh, this must be, yeah, it's, just, I think that's the name of the other place I went to. It's probably the same one. Maybe it's a chain. They have a couple different locations, right? As a reasonable person who's not like doing tons of research, but just sees the brand and has an impression as a commercial product immediately. Um, do I think that there is a connection? That is called likelihood of confusion. So in terms of trademark conflicts, you don't, in most cases, need to prove actual confusion, meaning you don't need to prove that Eric was confused and thought that your beer garden was, you know, the same type of restaurant as, you know, the same company as my beer garden. You just need to show likelihood of confusion, meaning a reasonable consumer encountering the two products, doing, you know, minimal research would, um, would think they came from the same source. Um, so that's the, that is the, uh, theory that I would put to the test in terms of determining if one of you know if the, if those two names were too close.
0: So I mean, it would be Austin Beer Garden Brewery, and the other one was South Austin Beer Garden, and one's right. literal brewery, and the other one's a bar that that serves right. beer. It's beer. I garden. mean, both so, those
1: names are pretty close to generic, right? Yeah, right. Because anybody can say I'm in Austin. If you are in Austin, well, it's, it's a very unique
0: example. Like all those things: Austin, generic beer, generic beer, generic, beer garden, generic. Right. All that's generic.
1: Right. Um, so, you know, neither of those brand names are terribly strong to begin with. Um, so the the if either of them was to come to me and say, hey, you know, we want to stop the other guy, the other person from um, using it, I would say, well, you know, look, your name is not really that strong to begin with. So you're, it's going to be tough for you to enforce that right. There might be other variables, but just kind of taking the info that we have here. Um, but kind of getting back to your original version of this question, you know, if one of them was to sort of really go with the acronym as their kind of main branding focus. And then, you know, somewhere like underneath that or in smaller font or something, it says South Austin Beer Garden or whatever, but it really goes by SABG. That may be a stronger position from a branding and trademark perspective than just the kind of more generic name, if that makes
0: sense. Got it. Um, Any other details you want to drop on us regarding how to choose a strong brand? What makes them weak or strong? Um, yeah I mean, you just have to think
1: about um not just conflicts like I said, but um you know how strong is that brand you know to begin with um what can I build on this? There is often a kind of tension between um you know wanting to kind of describe and make it easy for your potential customers to know, okay, like this is a taco shop, right, as opposed to um you know, it's a lot of work to to take a totally arbitrary or fanciful brand like Starbucks and create that impression of coffee in the customer's mind. It's a lot of marketing, a lot of advertising, because you're starting from nothing. They hear that word and that doesn't mean anything to them in terms of coffee. It may have some other meaning, but not in that context. So the question is, where do you want to focus your energy? Do you want to focus your energy on building that brand that's gonna be really strong? but it does take a lot of work or are you are going to start with something that's more descriptive or can you find something that's kind of a happy medium that still communicates what it's about. Um, but also gets, gets you that branding element that, you know, is, is going to be really valuable down the line. Got it. If you can find that, that sweet spot, that perfect, you know, thing, then, then it's, um, you know, that then you really hit on something, but um, you got to weigh a bunch of different priorities. You can't always, you know, have 10 out of 10 on every category. Got
0: it. Um, so We are jumping around. I do think I remember you hearing something along the lines of the number one thing that gets people in trouble. Did you already drop that on us?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the the fact that if somebody else has used uh, the similar name, they're continuing to use it, um, that they may have rights even if they haven't registered anything with the trademark office.
0: So So you may have rights if you've been using a trademark for a long time. Is it because of the first... Like the, because, like the yeah, like the you get what's called your,
1: common law trademark rights just based on use. Now, that may just be geographic. Like, if you have a restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky, you know you may only have trademark rights in that region. And somebody in San Diego, California, where I am, they may be able, you know, th- that that may not be an issue. Um, yeah. Again, consult your trademark lawyer to get into any of the details of a specific question. But yeah, that that is something to look out for.
0: I got to do one more quick break to thank our sponsors. They make this show possible. We'll be right back to uh, unpackage the process and we're going to do some Q and A. So stay tuned. you're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business restaurant unstoppable members get three months absolutely free get started at www7 slash unstoppable that's the number seven s h i f t s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What is one of the most overlooked and important marketing tools out there? It's your menu. And honestly, I cannot blame owners for overlooking their menu. It can be super tedious and boring work. Let's be honest, not to mention it's time consuming between all the other channels of marketing, i.e. social media, direct mail marketing and managing your operations and customer relations. Who has the time to dink around with their menu? Not many people, right? So that's why I'm super excited to introduce to you pop menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first time guests into regulars. From the website to the marketing to the contactless ordering, pop menu is the full digital solution for your restaurant. Pop menu also provides a dynamic mobile friendly menu that hooks your customers from the start. And this is a really cool tool. Diners have the ability to leave dish reviews, which really helps your menu speak for itself. Beyond these engaging features, pop menu provides marketing tools to build long, lasting relationships with your guests. For example, you have the power to send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders or promote new dishes. You can even set up online ordering and delivery direct through Pot menu. This means less ordering complications and loss commission to third party apps. We all love that. Frankly speaking, when Pop Menu reached out to me to be a sponsor, I didn't know much about them. We all know my rules that I only promote the tools and services that are recommended on the show. So I had to reach out to my network to get their approval. And I have to tell you, the feedback has been nothing but positive. People really like the menu review feature, the email marketing integration, and the fast and friendly customer support, which cannot be overlooked. For a limited time, only get $100 off your first month. Plus, you can lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. We are back, and we're going to get into some trademark processes or the process of being trademarked. So take it from there.
1: Yeah. Okay. So once we've kind of, you know, cleared the brand, we've established what we think is a strong brand. Um, you know, we don't, we're not worried about any conflicts. Then the next step typically is to file the trademark application with the trademark office. That's what I do or another trademark attorney. Um, I handle that process. So a couple things to know about that. The trademark process in the U S, um, can take a very long time. Uh, typically I would say, um, you know, under usual circumstances, it's like about a nine month process from the day you file the application, to you get the registration. That's even kind of in a good sense, like it can be much longer, It can be years and years and years. But typically it's about nine months. But um, right now, as we're speaking, um, October 2021, um, the trademark office in the U.S. is extremely delayed, both because of COVID and because a flood of fraudulent trademark applications from often from other countries, let's say China, for example. I have a lot of information about that on my website, but there's been a whole issue. So anyway, it's like a trade war that people don't really know about except in my world. Um, So that's really delaying things. So often now we're getting stretched out to a year or more um, in terms of that whole process. However, the good news is um, it doesn't mean that you have nothing until you get that registration, which can take months or years. Um, The date that we file the application in some senses, is the most important date because that's when you get what's called federal priority. What that means is that you've made that claim to this brand and saying that you have the sole and exclusive right to use this brand in the US in context with these goods or services and um, at that point it 's on the trademark database it's online. Anybody else can search and see, okay, this is a pending trademark application um, and uh, you know so you 're already starting to get that benefit of that kind of invisible shield of trademarks where people are just not using your brand because they see that you' already claimed it um, and um, it, you know it, it the kind of rights will date back to that filing date so um, it's not like you 've got nothing but once you get the final trademark registration in hand. Um, you know, that's when the kind of full rights start to accrue. Um, and then really the good thing about trademarks is they can last literally forever. Um, there's no expiration date, you know, like Coca-Cola has been around for, you know, what, 100 more years. Um, the rule in terms of trademarks is, again, a very simple, like, you know, playground. My four-year-old could understand this rule, which is user losing. Um, if you don't use a trademark for an extended period of time, you will lose those rights, even if you have the registration um you need to continue to use it in commerce that doesn't mean you need to use it every minute of every day um you know you might close your restaurant for a month to for repairs or to move to a different location you may take a product off the market and kind of reformulate it or rebrand it put it back on the market that's okay but the rule of thumb is about three years so if you haven't used your brand name for three years i wouldn't say that you know anybody should just grab it but from a legal perspective it could be just kind of unclaimed um so um that means you do want to make sure that you're continuing to use the brands that you've established um and not lose them. It also means that if you're looking for conflicts and you see that somebody had used, you know, let's say the same name as a restaurant, um, but they went out of business eight years ago, then it may not be an issue because they've kind of lost their rights. I'm not so, telling you what to do. That's not legal advice, you know, look into it in detail. But I feel um, like there's a know, lot of brand. It, it, it that can opened. last forever.
0: Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of brands that open say in the past three years or two years, like say they opened in January of 2020, right? Yeah. And, um, good time to open a restaurant, right? There's a, there's a lot of things that can close a restaurant, but when you're, when you're already on a, you know, a short budget or you didn't properly capitalize yourself for being a business and then you had to worry about all the expenses of COVID as well. I I feel like a lot of business would have gone out of business. So I guess where I'm going with this is for those people who maybe opened in January, 2020, but they still have all the intention to live out their dream. They just kind of need to regroup. What are some things they can do if they did go through the process of trademarking? Is it just as simple as keeping your Instagram like page alive or something like that? Like what can you do to stay active to kind of maintain that trademark?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the main thing is to try to use it in the context in which it was registered or protected. So like for restaurant services. So like, let's say you had a brick and mortar restaurant and you had to close because of COVID or for whatever other reason. Right. Um, you may want to, uh, for example, um, just do pop-ups or do a food truck under that brand name um, for, you know, on and off for a period of time just to kind of keep it alive. First of all, that's good for your customer base because they see that you're still out there and, hey, you know, great. Um, I like that food. I'm going to go check it out, whatever. Um, but also from a trademark perspective, you do need to use it or lose it. But the level of use is pretty minimal in most cases. Um, so you don't have to, you know be, you know, on every billboard in town, um, you know, uh, typical, a pretty low level amount of use is, is sufficient. Um, so yeah, that as an example, you, you know, just having an Instagram page that you're continuing to post on once in a while, that might not be enough because you're not really delivering restaurant services. You're not providing any food to anybody, but, um, even if you're just, you know, occasionally doing a pop-up truck or some you know kind of situation like that, that may be enough to kind of keep that, um, brand, um, in you know in place, fix in place until you 're ready to kind of relaunch in a in a full location.
0: got it any other elements of the trademark process that we have not touched on?
1: Yeah. I mean, even after you register, you always want to be vigilant and be looking out for conflicts um, to see if there are any others who pop up using the same or similar name. If that does happen, then often clients will come to me or another trademark attorney and try to deal with that issue, um, whether it's a cease and desist or whatever the right approach is um, in a particular situation. Um, if you're going into... Other markets, you want to be aware of that. So by other markets, that could mean other geographical markets, like you could be moving to another country or expanding another country. You want to do searching and clearing and registering and protecting there as well, working sometimes with attorneys. I work with a lot of attorneys in other countries. It's very common for me. So a client will say, hey, we're expanding to Australia, um, and I'll bring in an Australian attorney, and I'll collaborate with that person. Um, Other markets could also mean products, right? So maybe all of a sudden your hot sauce in the restaurant is popular and you want to start selling hot sauce. Okay, so now that's another market. Do you need to do additional trademark searching and protecting to protect that brand name for the physical products? Thinking about those things in an early stage is good because if and a client comes to me and says, look, I'm opening a restaurant, but I also just want to kind of do, I'm thinking about starting a barbecue sauce as well. So can we make sure that we're clearing for that as well, even if we're not going to fully register and protect it right away, looking down the line a year from now, we may want to do that. Okay, so then we can you know, include that in the search. Um, but sometimes you go in unexpected places. we didn't expect to become a full catering company. We didn't expect to be this, that, and the other. Um, and um, you know so as you get into different verticals or different markets, you want to also go back and make sure you're kind of clearing up the trademark stuff on that end.
0: Got it. What about budgeting? If we're listening to this and like we're thinking to ourselves, this is something I absolutely want to do, and we're trying to you know establish our our budget for opening what What money should we put away to go through this process?
1: Well, I mean, that's the situation where it's a little tough to answer because, first of all, every trademark attorney is different. um, And also the costs are different depending on what you're doing. So, you know, how much searching is required? um, You know, the search process obviously has a cost to it. um, How many times are we going to have to do that, et cetera. Um, Then the question is, um, In terms of trademarks, how many different trademarks do you have? Which ones do you really need to protect? Like a lot of people will say, I have a business name, I've got a brand name, I've got a logo, I've got a this, I've got a that. Okay. Then part of what I do is working with the client and exactly asking that question. Okay. What is your budget? How much, you know, can you spend on this? And what are the priorities? If you're coming at me and you say, look, I've got all the money in the world, I'm Jeff Bezos and I'm opening a restaurant empire. Okay. Well, then we'll file every trademark we can think of. Whereas, for people that are you know, more on a startup type budget, we might prioritize and say, okay, look, it'd be nice to have all these things, but we'll do one at a time. Let's just protect the business name, the name of the restaurant. That's the highest priority. Once you've got that established, you've got some revenue coming in, things are going well, you've established it, you're happy with it. Um, then we look at the logo or then we look at the tagline or then we look at this, that and the other. So, um, you always want to find somebody that can work with you, understand what your budget is. It's going to be different for every restaurant and every business and every situation, but having somebody that can prioritize those things for you, help you. I mean, ultimately you're the business owner. You have to make the decisions, but help you work that out. Have that discussion, um, is really a key. I mean, I do that every day. It's a key part of the process.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you, I, and I realize, and we got your disclaimer that every case is unique, but can you give us a ballpark like window, like low side, high side?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you come to me and you, you know, or a trademark attorney, I mean, you know, every, I, you know, I don't know what everybody's rates are and fees and things like that, but if, you know, typically what you're looking at in terms of like clearing the trademark, you know, doing a search and then doing a very basic, you know, registration on, you know, for a simple, um, application like one class of goods and services mean like just restaurants but not also yeah. this also that etc just right. the,
0: the name of the business
1: right typically you're looking at a couple thousand dollars in terms of ballpark um that's not typically tens of thousands of dollars it's not a few hundred dollars so that's just kind of the range you're looking at um, and what yeah. what
0: are the costs that are associated with not going through this process what have you seen as far as people being sued or along the, anything along those lines why how do you justify the 1500 hundred dollar investment
1: Right. So, I mean, the big thing that happens to people that I deal with all the time um, on both ends of, you know, uh, uh, you know, in terms of both being um, protective and defending and all those kind of things is um, somebody uh, has a restaurant and then, you know, they start to get some traction and everything goes great. They get some good press and then boom, they get a cease and desist letter from a lawyer like me saying, hey, you need to stop using that name um, because you know, we already have it, we have rights, et cetera. Now that may be right. That may be wrong. Um, but we do kind of see that happen a lot and to rebrand and pivot and change your logo and your menus and your every, your signage and everything, you know, you can imagine is very costly and time consuming. Sometimes it's a positive thing because sometimes somebody's like, look, I just didn't like this brand anyway. I think we've got a better name now that we, so, you know, sometimes people can see a silver lining, but, um, Generally speaking, it's not a conversation I like to have. I, I much prefer it when things are done ahead of time, the clearance, the protection, everything. Um, because, uh, you know, otherwise that, you know, I've seen clients just go out of business because they can't afford to make that change, you know, in midstream. And, and that's really the, the more than getting sued. Yeah. Getting sued happens, but it's pretty uncommon. Most of the time people just kind of get that letter. They start talking to the attorney and they realize I'm out of luck. It's just not, there's not even a lawsuit to fight here.
0: Yeah, and um, I mean, just because it's relative right now, we did have a question coming through. Uh, would you go to services like LegalZoom to do this? I mean, it's I don't know why. Would, I mean, I see the conflict of interest of you promoting a service like. LegalZoom. Well, it's not.
1: Yeah, uh, here's what I would say. I have I. This is my own business. I've had this business since 2005. Um, my wife has her own business. We also own a model railroad museum. <laughs> so we are in the, you know, customer service type business as well, um, in terms of having a retail store and so forth. So I totally understand, um, you know, all the decisions you have to make in terms of business. What I would always say is talk to a trademark attorney or a couple of different trademark attorneys if you can, um, or business formations or whatever you need to do. Get that information, um, and then see if it's right for you. Um, I tend to see the bad side of things like LegalZoom, not because they're bad, but because if something isn't done right, then somebody comes to me and they have to pay me more money to fix it. But that doesn't mean that it's not working for... uh, I only see the ones that don't work out. You know what I'm saying? Like the people that it does work out, they don't come to me. So I have no way of knowing if it's good or bad. Um, It might be right for you. Everything might be the right solution for you. It's like, uh, you know, which point of sale system are you going to use? This one's more expensive, but it has this. This one's cheaper, but it has that. There's not one right solution for everybody. So, you know, f- you know, if you're just starting out at a very low level, Hey, we're just doing a pop up at a farmer's market. I can totally understand how, you know, you're probably not going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on legal fees. If it's just, you're just trying to see, okay, we're going to do this for a month and see if people like this Thai food. Um, versus if you have a more developed business, more developed business plan investors, okay, that's something where you may, uh, benefit from you know, a little bit more personalized advice. So it's yeah. not for me to say one thing is good or bad, but I I can't tell you uh, in a specific case if something is really working or not.
0: Beautiful. Uh, so we've kind of gone through the agenda for, for today. I, I do I mean, the whole point of having you here is because somebody did approach me with a question, a specific question about trademarks. I kind of want to lead off the Q&A with that question uh, and go ahead and throw your hand up if you want to Starting now, if you guys want to ask your question, um, go ahead and put your hand up. We do have your questions that are in the chat as well. We can start going through and asking those questions. but the specific question I have for you is in the example of say, there is a brand that exists at one point, it was a more uh it was a larger brand. there were more locations, but that was way back in the eighties right and over time, the brand has kind of gotten tired. Um, locations have closed there's now there's only four locations for this brand, right? And you own one of those locations uh, as a franchise and your dream, your plan is to absorb the remaining four locations and then scale. Regarding trademark, what things do you need to keep in mind?
1: Yeah. I mean, you want to understand how it's been used and in what context, like what, you know, is it just restaurants or the other products and so forth? Were there other products in the past? You want to, Possibly do the search to make sure that there's nobody else who's come along who just thinks, "Oh, that brand is dead." I'm going to start using it or something similar, um, because the franchise or the company that owns the brands and the franchises, um, they uh, you know they may not have been policing. They may you know because it's been contracting, they may not may not have been spending the money or the time to be active in policing it. And if you don't police a trademark for long enough. Other parties can gain rights, whether that's local or whatever else. Um, so, you know, that the rights may have shrunk over time just because they weren't enforced and weren't, you know, properly taken care of. Um, so that's something where you're going to want to do your due diligence. And then, you know, most of the time the franchisor, the company at the top, they're going to own all the brands, all the trademarks, registrations, and so forth. You want to make sure that all those registrations were maintained and sort of done properly because there is maintenance, there is renewals and things. So even if they, you know, had their trademark filed and everything was done properly in 1985, that doesn't mean that it was maintained. That doesn't mean the registrations were renewed, et cetera. So, you know, there is a, a benefit to, you know, speaking to an attorney who can do that due diligence to make sure that you're, um, what you're looking to acquire or grow is something that is in good shape.
0: So, the three questions that I pulled that we need to consider one, do you still have the rights? Meaning, were, was the brand that owned it before you or the individuals who owned it before you policing? Uh, was the registration renewed? Things like that. Like, Are you still protected? Don't just assume because this is a pre-existing brand with trademarks that those trademarks hold up.
1: Right. Exactly. There could be vulnerabilities and it's worth doing that research just to see where you're at. It doesn't mean that, you know, that it's not, again, it's not an either or or type of thing. It may be gray area. Okay, well... There's problems we can fix them, or here's what your options are, um, but again, you do need to really get advice about that
0: and if your plan is if you already if your family's bought into this this trademark or this uh franchise uh, are there things you need to consider as far as purchasing trademark or is that just encompassed with purchasing the organization is there i mean is there a price tag to a trademark
1: yeah, I mean just that's a good question I mean just owning a franchise you know, the, the individual franchise doesn't give you other any rights other than what's in the franchise agreement, which is a license. So the franchise agreement will say, you can do this, that, and the other, but, you know, you're very limited in terms of what you can do with the brand. You don't own it. Um, it's just you have the right to use those brands, the name, logo, etc., in certain contexts following the terms of the franchise agreement. So
0: um, if you purchase a franchise, is the legal aspect of trademarking en- encompassed with that purchase. Or-
1: yeah. So if you purchase a Star, uh, you know, a, not Starbucks, but they don't, but um, Subway, let's say franchise, right? So like all you have the right to do is to operate that Subway franchise that subway sandwich shop in that particular location and to you know follow the rules so just like you have to make the sandwiches the way they tell you you also have to use their trademarks and brand names and logos and things like that the way they tell you you know you can't change the colors you can't you know change the font you you know what i mean you can't rename the sandwiches um etc you have to kind of follow the rules yeah
0: so until you you do own it don't get too creative.
1: Right. Until you, yeah. uh, you know, if you were to buy, now if you buy the whole franchise company, you know, the the, the company at the top of the chain, um, then you own the trademarks, everything goes with it and you can do, you can make the changes you want and so forth. But until you get to that point, you need to be in compliance with your franchise agreement at all times or so you could, it could be pulled from you. Yeah. Awesome,
0: got it. All right, well, let's open this up to some, some uh, attendee questions. And if you guys are going to be joining us, feel free to tell us who you are, where you are. If your questions are personal and you don't really necessarily want the world to know who you are and where you are and what you're doing, you can be just just don't say your name. Just ask your question. <laughs> I won't hold you to that. Uh, but starting with, um, actually, I won't even say your name. First person with their hand up, feel free to introduce yourself, tell us who you are, where you are, and ask your question.
3: And oh, that is. You, Greg, but we can edit that part out. All right. Thanks, Eric. I like your shirt. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> so uh, my name is Greg Lindsay. Uh, I have Jewish Deli in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. So oh, I, had I actually, love that.
1: I love the name. That's very clever. It's awesome. I see names Thank all day long. So that's a good
3: one. Well, one of the best investments I made in my business was hiring a marketing company to help me with the initial branding. Yeah. And part of what part of their process was actually doing a trademark search and doing a search into the name to make sure when we did some naming that there weren't going to be any issues, you know, in in at least the short term. Um, So I I was grateful they did that. So I looked into the trademark process at one point, kind of, you know, a couple of people said, oh, you can probably do it yourself, which does not seem to be the case once you start looking into it. And one of the things that confused me is that it looks like when you go to the website and look at their applications, they have... Like two different levels, one that costs more than the other, and it almost looks like it's just a more streamlined process that you're paying a premium for. I'm, it was a little confusing. I'm not sure if you can speak to to that a little bit.
1: Yeah, uh, you know their trade their 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 website is not the most user friendly. Um, you know, for somebody like me that's been using it every day for, uh, you know. Whatever, close to twenty years. Um, I'm fairly good at navigating it, but even I sometimes I'm like, wait, where is this? So it is. It is sometimes confusing. There's a couple different types of applications that do have different prices. Some of that has to do with whether you're um, you're describing the goods and services according to like a formula that they already have, or if you're just kind of freely writing it in. Um, I do both of those depending on what my client needs. Uh, you know, If you're a restaurant and it's just restaurant services, that's pretty simple. You could do what's called the plus form and it's simple. You just click to do that and it's a little bit cheaper. Whereas if you're doing something that's kind of a new product, you know, somebody says, oh, I've got this new you know, Bitcoin product or whatever, something that's totally new that really hasn't been um, described before, um, then sometimes we have to use the kind of older form, which has a different additional fee to it. But yeah, it it is, uh, look, people file their own trademarks and it's successful and it works sometimes and that's fine. Um, You know, studies have shown that, uh, you know, when you go with a lawyer, you are more likely to have a successful process. That makes sense. I mean, you know, if I was going to try to, you know, make a brisket, um, you know, you'd probably have a a much more likelihood of success than I would. Um, But, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't do it yourself. It just means you might run into issues. Thank you. The only thing I would say to that is um for people who are outside the US who want to register their trademark in the US, you do need to use the United States-based lawyer. So if you're in Mexico, uh, but you you know, you're starting you're expanding your restaurant brand to the United States, you would need to hire an attorney that's licensed in the US to, to file. But if you're a US resident, you could file for yourself if you want.
4: So I've got some retail products associated with my brand. And uh Another very large international company has used one of my product names. And as far as I can tell, I had it first. Um, And it's not something very generic. And so nothing, you know, they haven't sent me anything yet, thinking that they have rights to that. I haven't sent anything to them yet. I do not have it trademarked. Um, But that's something I'm looking to do with all of my product brands. Um, just wondering how big of a hill am I going to have to climb with them potentially since they have much deeper pockets than I do, r- regardless of who's there first, you know, let's say I'm there first. Does that really mean anything or is it whoever has the deepest pockets wins?
1: Well, you know, it depends. Um, I, you know, I'm thinking of a particular case where I had a client who had a brand name and, and, um, so I can't say who it was, but a very big social media company that everybody uses all day long um, came along, and they started using a very similar product name for a similar space. The client said to me, "Like, what are we going to do? You know, they have so many lawyers." And I said, "Well, you only need one." <laughs> and we did win. We got them to back down. We didn't have to go to court. Um, you know, it was all letters and phone calls, and um, they were like, "No, we can't fight this." I mean, even though they had the money, like. The, you know, big companies still don't want to spend money on litigation. They don't need to. Um, so it's not true that if a big company comes along, um, you're, you're out of luck. Um, typically in that situation, again, I'm not your attorney. I'm not, I don't know the specifics, but typically in that situation, we would file the trademark application, at least to get that application filing in. And then sometimes proceed with a cease and desist or whatever the other approach would be, because you've, once you have that application filing in the trademark office system, you're coming from a stronger position. So even though you haven't registered it yet, um, you're kind of pending and they can't file, you know, they're, they're kind of out of luck in terms of filing it. So that might be an example of a strategy to kind of build your strength before you approach them. Again, I don't know that would be the right strategy for you or what I would recommend once we get into the details, but, uh, you know, there's different kind of ways to approach it is the answer.
4: Is it it typically um, deemed reasonable to give either party, you know, whether it's my company that has to make the change and stop using the trademark or the other company? Is it when it comes to like tangible goods like that versus something that's Um, online, you know, something that um, isn't being delivered all over the world and things like that. Is it typical to give the other party a reasonable time frame to remedy that 30 days, 90 days when your labels run out, things like that?
1: Yeah, that's very common is to have a sell-off period um, in terms of trademark use, unless it's like really urgent you know, like, hey, I'm you know, launching my commercial with the Super Bowl next week, we got to stop you from using it right away. You know, that's a very limited set of circumstances. Most of the time, the other party has a sellout period or a reasonable period of time to change. Um, You know, and another thing that does happen sometimes is there are coexistence agreements, meaning you may have a similar trademark. Your brands may be somewhat similar, but not identical. Maybe you're in different verticals, you know, you're attracting different markets or something like that. And so you'll come to an agreement whereby both parties can use their marks and both parties can file registrations and so forth. They're just agreeing not to conflict with each other. So that may be an end result as well. I don't know.
0: Beautiful. Any other questions before we wrap up? I saw a couple of questions that might have already been answered. Jared, I did see that you had a few questions. Do you want to come on and ask your questions?
2: Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, uh sorry, one second. I had some like kind of random questions. Actually, I have a question real quick, something you've mentioned a couple times. For your before
0: your question, do you want to tell us who you are and what you are?
2: Oh, yeah, okay. My name's Jared. Uh, I work for uh, I own a company called Sumadre, um, which is contracted by Eric uh, and Restaurant Unstoppable. But <clears throat> you've mentioned this a couple of times, and I'm curious. If if I register if I am going through the process of registering a trademark and you said, like you said, it's backed up and it takes two years. While it's pending, no one else can put in another one to be pending at the same time with the same name. Is that true?
1: That's basically right. So
2: if you know, if,
1: if um, you know, I, I applied to register, uh, you know, restaurant unstoppable for podcasts, podcast, and and even though it's pending, and then a week later somebody else came along and tried to file the same exact trademark, the trademark office would bounce them. Without any question. I mean, it would be obvious that there was a conflict. Now, if it's somewhat close or whatever, that's different. But um, if it, you know, somebody had this, you know, more or less the same um, name for similar products and services, that's a big thing that trademark office does. That's part of the why, why it takes so long. It's not just like you file something and then boom, it applies. They have attorneys who have to review every single application to see if there are conflicts in their database. Um, and, and they reject applications all the time on that basis. So yeah, um, once you've got that filing, Anybody else, you know, who comes along who tries to file an identical or similar mark in a similar space most likely is going to get rejected on that basis.
2: Okay, that's like comforting. Um, I'm glad that you clarified that. I have a few more like smaller questions that I'm just curious about. What about a reference to a copyrighted material? Like let's say I wanted to open a cinnamon bun shop and call it Princess Leia's Cinnamon Buns.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't use Princess Leia in any context because <laughs> okay. that, you know, is the Disney empire. As an um, example. I hear what you're saying. Um, you know, I, that happens all the time. Um, so, you know, you might have a, uh, you know, kind of a sandwich shop that, you know, the name is a reference to a Grateful Dead song or something, right? I mean, like that, you see a lot of that. Um, and, you know, uh, typically uh, it's a case-by-case thing, but typically if it's kind of a, obscure reference or you're just kind of hinting at it or making a joke um that's you know often is okay like you know nobody really cares and it's not really an issue um whereas if it's something you know really right on target um you know harry potter you know sandwich shop whatever you know then you're probably going to be totally out of luck so um there's no you know there's no bright line here it's there's a lot of gray area but um that's that can be fine um but the more kind of obvious of an inference it is the better you are
2: okay my my final rather small question would be what about titles that are in the public domain let's say i wanted to open a pet shop and call it the island of dr moreau yeah assuming that
1: i'm assuming that uh title is in the public domain but yeah i mean if you wanted to open you know romeo and juliet you know dating bar, whatever, your singles bar, right? Maybe that didn't work out so well for them, but you know what I'm saying. Um, That's, uh, you know, that's totally fine. It's in the public domain and anybody can use it. So there's tons of like Shakespeare pub or whatever, right? So those are all public domain and, um, you know, if something is truly and honestly in the public domain, which sometimes is hard to tell, um, but if it really is, you know, it's like before, you know, 1900 or whatever, um, then, uh, you know, then anybody can use it and you can, you know, you can be whatever, Sherlock Holmes, uh, coffee shop or something. I don't know. Okay. I,
0: I, I have a couple questions and I think we can start to wrap it up uh, real quick. Should I trademark? Are you feeling unstoppable today?
1: Uh, if you are using it as a trademark, like as a brand um, if I
0: say <clears throat> at the beginning of every episode.
1: I yeah. Remember. So things that are in only an audio format can be difficult to prove use as a trademark doesn't mean it can't be done, but um, usually when we're proving use as a trademark, we're showing screenshots or some kind of visual evidence of use. So for a restaurant, it's really simple. Like here's a photo of the sign, of the, you know, the menu, whatever it is, it, you know, it's there's no question um, for something that is like more of an audio tagline. Um, that would be a fun project for me because it's a research project and I'm sure people have done it, but it's not something that happens all the time. So we would need to kind of figure out how to show that you're really using it as a trademark.
0: Got it. And um, you got into earlier pointing out that a trademark is not a patent or a copyright. But for the sake of understanding, are there any examples you can think of where a restaurant tour might want to use a copyright or might want to use a patent and where in their mind they might be thinking trademark?
1: Yeah, so totally. It comes up all the time. So a patent is a Uh, exclusive license by the government to um, use um, or create like a certain invention. So you need to invent something in order to get a patent that is useful, useful, novel, et cetera. It could be a process. It could be a business process. It could be a a software product. It could be a physical product. Right. Um, But things like recipes are very, very difficult to protect under patent law. I'm not a patent attorney, but I do work with them. So I know like a little bit about it. Um, <clears throat> patenting is a whole separate process. There's a whole separate patent filing system and so forth. Um, you don't get patent rights just through use like you do through trademarks. You have to go through the process in order to get any rights as a patent. Um, so sometimes people in your space may come to me and they say, hey, I have something that may be patentable, an invention, a new way to bottle beer whatever it might be i don't know you know listen to and, you talk and,
0: i think like a franchise would be something that you patent because that's literally just a system for doing something
1: a franchise is different because there are every state has its own franchise registry so that's a whole nother area of law where if you are going to do a franchise great um, but we would bring in a franchise attorney that just spe- specifically works on that and that's a really complicated state by state area of law um, uh, in terms of copyright, copyright does come into play um, in the restaurant industry. So copyrights are um, a, a right or a group of rights that are exclusive that apply to uh, individual works of creativity. So um, anything from a written you know, piece of work um, to uh, an illustration, a logo, things like that um, can fall under copyright law. So you can see how a logo could be <clears throat> protectable as a trademark, but also... A copyrightable image. They're two separate things. Um, so sometimes in a restaurant world, we might want to achieve you know, copyright protection for a logo. Sometimes for written works, I mean, a menu typically there's so little writing that's creative um, that uh, that it that it doesn't fall under you know meet that threshold for copyright. But if you do have you know a really creative menu or something on your website that's you know really interesting writing or your story, um, that may be potentially copyrightable and protectable. Again, it's separate from trademark. It falls into a whole different world. Um, probably would be a whole separate conversation, but I do work with clients on those things as well.
0: Beautiful. I think that's all of our questions. David, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and to enlighten us on the subject of trademarks. I learned a lot personally. I can say that if we're interested in using your services, we want to reach out to you. What's the best way to connect?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to talk to anybody or help. Um you know, point you in the right direction, whatever it might be. Um, Best way to find me is through my website, lizardbramlaw.com. If you type in David Lizabram and you even get close to spelling my name right, you'll find me. There's only one of me. Um, So I'm very easily findable. (laughs) I'm at David Lizabram on Twitter, et cetera. Um, So um, yeah, I'm pretty easily found. So yeah, feel free to reach out. I work with clients all over the country and all over the world, um, helping them with everything from business formations, contracts, LLCs, corporations, et cetera. And then obviously a lot of trademark work as well you <laughs> Um, so, you know, very common for me to work with companies in the hospitality industry um, and it's a lot of fun because uh, sometimes I get to visit them and enjoy their uh, their products, <laughs> which is not always the case. So I'm working with an insurance company or something. That's great, but, uh, you know, it's not quite as, uh, as much of a good time on a Friday night to take my wife and uh, enjoy it. So, anyway, thank you all for all you're doing. I know it's been a hard year um, and challenging and continues to be with employment issues and all those other things that are going on in the hospitality industry. So, I know you all are working hard to serve people, to provide people a good experience, and to build businesses for yourselves, your families, etc. Support your employees. Those are all great things. And if I was able to help in a small way today, then my day was worthwhile. So thanks a lot.
0: David, it was a pleasure talking to you. I'm going to spell that last name for your website. It's L I Z E R B R A M lawlaw.com. So Lizbrand right. Law.com. I'll uh, feel free to reach out to him and just thank you so much for taking the time to join us to share your wisdom, your knowledge around trademarks. There is no questioning, David, you are unstoppable. Thanks. Cheers. Should I trademark that? Just we'll cause.
3: see. <laughs>
0: There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. David Brown, thank you so much for coming on the show, uh, sharing your knowledge, enlightening us around the world of trademarks and copyright and just generally covering your keiser when it comes to your intellectual property. It's a very complex, sloppy world, uh, but it's important that you pay attention to these things and you and you think about these things before you get open so you can protect yourself really i mean you don't want to put all this energy and time into developing a brand to realize you're not allowed to use that brand right so it's worth doing your due diligence it's worth uh, making sure you're you're covered in these areas and uh this episode again was created because somebody came to me in the network and they said hey eric i have this problem i don't have all the answers But I know a lot of people who are a heck of a lot smarter than I am, and I can put you right in front of them. I can literally get you in the same Zoom room. You can ask your questions and we can create content around your needs because the chances are if you're struggling with something, you're not alone. And I really want to evolve this platform to go to work for individuals in the network. And today is a good example of that. And speaking of the network, we got some cool things happening next week. We're currently in Nashville, Tennessee, and we've been recording a bunch of great interviews and we're actually working on a little project, a documentary. We don't really know what's going to become of that, uh, but that's the reason why we're here. Uh, and next week uh, in the network, we have a book club. Uh, every Monday, the first Monday of the month we and during the book club, we're just connecting with other restaurateurs to dive deep into the books our guests are organically recommending on the show. We also have coffee with Eric every Tuesday, where I'm just making myself available to you to really field your questions and to find out what content I need to make. Then on Wednesday, we have a lecture. We have uh, Meredith Sandlin joining us on the show to discuss her book, Delivering the Digital Restaurants. And that's going to be a really interesting conversation. And then on Thursday, we have Corey Maniconi coming on the show. Corey uh, was the founder of Zool. He actually just sold Zool. Uh, he's really well-versed in the world of delivery and just digital online ordering all that stuff so if you enjoyed his episode and you want to connect with him he'll be live in the network to answer your questions and reflect on his episode that's at 3 p.m on thursday that's it for today thank you for sticking around this long until next time peace out